Hello and welcome to episode two of Women's Strength Collective, the podcast. I am your host, Shay Zaru, and each week we'll be taking a deep dive together on a topic related to lifting health and life. Last week was our first episode, and I just want to take a moment to thank everyone for listening, for leaving me a comment, leaving a review, however you chose to interact with the podcast last week. I just want you to know that I appreciate it and appreciate your support, and I'm really looking forward to bringing you some informative episodes moving forward. If you tuned in for that one, we had Dr. Megan Jones on from Canada, and it was a very, very, very informative episode. So if you are interested in learning the nitty gritty about being a female and lifting, please head to that episode and give it a listen. Joining me today is Isabella von Weissenberg, who is currently in Melbourne, but does compete for Sweden internationally. She's broken the squat world record in the 72 kilo class eight times, which is absolutely massive. She's a very accomplished lifter there, which is why in 2018, we were all pretty surprised when she made the announcement that she was heading to the 63 kilo class for the 2018 world championships, which were held in Calgary. If you do follow Isabella, you would know that she ended up missing weight by 500 grams, which I know doesn't sound like a lot, but when you've already been in a dehydrated state, that is actually a really large amount of weight to lose. I hadn't seen her talk about the whole process pretty much anywhere, which is why I wanted to get her on to talk about it, to break it down, and to also give us some lessons that she had learned along the way. Just before we get into the episode, I do want to give everyone a heads up that we do speak about disordered eating habits, we do speak about binge eating, and we do speak about body image a fair bit in this podcast episode. I'm sure many of you are unaware of my history with binge eating and bulimia. It's something that I struggled with from the ages of 12 to 20, in which I got the courage to publicly tell everyone that this was something that I was dealing with via a blog post. And I know a blog post sounds absolutely crazy, but at the time I had a lot of feelings of shame and guilt, was just feelings of being out of control when it came to my body and how I felt about it. Putting it in writing was the easiest way for me to tell people how I was feeling without having that face-to-face conversation with them. When I did announce that I was going to be podcasting with Isabella on Instagram, I actually did a Q&A for people to send me in questions that they wanted answered by her, specifically in relation to the dieting process and her cut to the 63 kilo class. I did get a handful of them asking specifically about binge eating and it didn't feel right for me to A, not ask Isabella those questions, but B, not also address it before this episode. So if you did ask those questions and you are listening to this episode, I do want you to know that you are absolutely not alone in dealing with this and it is something so commonly that pops up between my female friends, my female clients and of course I myself have gone through it too. But it is also often something people do need to go see a professional about which is why I didn't ask Isabella those really targeted questions. So if that was you and you are in need of some resources, please do not hesitate to get in contact with me and hopefully I can pop you in the right direction or in the direction of someone who can provide you those resources. But you are absolutely not alone and hopefully today's episode as well will show you that. Thank you again to Isabella for joining me and for sharing such an intimate conversation with me as well. Um, I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I loved recording it. 
Welcome, Isabella, to Women's Strength Collective, the podcast. Hello. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining us. I'm so excited to chat with you because you have broken eight squat world records, which is absolutely massive. And when I think of the IPF, you are one of the first lifters that comes to mind, especially strong female lifters. For those who don't know you, if you just want to give yourself a bit of an introduction and maybe a little bit about your competitive background as well. Yeah, sure. Um, I am born in Sweden where I spent the first um, 28 years of my life. So the last year I've been living in Melbourne and I've been competing in powerlifting since 2014. I started lifting 2013. Got on the national team uh, 2015, so pretty soon like after starting. So I've been competing for Sweden uh, for five years. And yeah, nowadays... Um, living in Australia, working as a powerlifting coach. Yeah, so you and, work for RTS? That's right. Uh, yeah. Reactive training systems and also as a personal trainer here in Melbourne. How has your move been to Melbourne? Well, I mean, obviously it's been amazing uh, in, on so many levels. It's just a very beautiful place to live and I feel like I'm in a very beautiful place in my life, um, the way things are. It's also been difficult like I could not not say that (laughs) obviously like switching continent um being uh, pretty far away from my family and social network and managing that it's been very challenging yeah but I would say that things are a lot more fun here because I've been I feel like there are a lot more opportunities here as a strength coach so yeah a lot has happened in a year it's almost a year and a half now. Yeah, I remember following you about a year ago and you were doing a lot of traveling before moving to Melbourne anyways. It's been awesome to see you obviously be in Australia and be a little bit more accessible to Australian lifters. I know a lot of people are really excited to be able to see you in Melbourne and even I contacted you to get you to come to the Women's Strength Collective event, which has now been moved to October. But it yeah. is really awesome that we have the opportunity to meet lifters such as yourself that are from other parts of the world and you know to have you in Melbourne it's awesome thank you yeah it's exciting one of the main things I wanted to do a deep dive into today was 2018 worlds which was in Calgary and I kind of want to start really right at the beginning because you compete as a 72 kilo lifter What made you decide to start that journey down to the 63 kilo class what was the idea behind that The idea at the time was that I needed, I don't know if I needed, but I I was craving some form of really big challenge. At the time, 2018, I had just become single and I was, I think I was going through a crisis. I don't think I knew it at the time. (laughs) I love how your crisis is to drop down a weight class. (laughs) I did all kinds of things. I quit uni, started my business, dropped down, tried to drop down a weight class, got a new coach, like all of these things. I was just like, do, do, do. I tried to come up with all these different things to like challenge myself and feel like I was moving forward. I've been doing really well in the 72 set uh, for already for four years. And I, th- I think I wanted to like step it up and see what I was capable of. I didn't expect it that I would be that lean so quickly mm. into my diet. I thought, okay, well, 
I mean, it's a big weight cut, but it's not impossible. And looking at the world records, looking at the total that would, uh, in my head, make me world champion were uh, within my reach. And I was like, yeah, I'm going for it. And I'm, I had the drive for it. I wanted the challenge. I wanted to see how much I could learn from that as well. And then as it went on, I just got like leaner and leaner and leaner. And I was like, hmm, this is sort of bringing me up issues that I didn't expect. And I mean, that was part of the learning experience as well. But yeah. (laughs) When you started your diet and your weight cut, what, where were you sitting at weight wise and where did you end up? I started at 76 kilos, which is um, a pretty normal body weight for me. It's where I'm sitting right now as well. That was probably in October. I started cutting a little bit uh, slowly. And then in May, beginning of June, end of May, I was sitting at 66, 67. Yeah, wow. So whole, that's a, already a ten, huge 10 kilos and still three more to go to reach the 63 mm. kilo weight class. Yeah. I think everyone as well who is listening to go back and look at the pictures that Isabella did post. And as you said, you were lean as a 72 beforehand. And I think whenever we see someone do a weight cut, it is obviously harder when you already have a leaner frame to lose that much. So it is interesting to hear you say that you didn't realize how lean you were there. And then as you're, how quickly that kind of progressed as well as you started your diet. Yeah. And when you went to weigh in at 2018 Worlds, when you did your first initial weigh-in because you actually missed weight, was that at the 63.5? Was it the 500 grams over or was that the last weigh-in that you attempted? The 63.5, the final weight that I reached was five minutes before weighing close. been uh, dropping water from 66 kilos night before and all morning. And what was your first weigh-in in the morning when they opened that up? Well, I was only weighing myself at the hotel room um, because there was not really a point to go to the weigh-in room because I knew Mm -hmm. I hadn't hit weight. But when I woke up in the morning, it was at 65, I think. And what was the process after that? Did you start getting into the sauna, having the bath? What did you end up doing to get that extra kilo and a half off? I didn't have access to a sauna, so I was doing the hot baths. And uh, I don't know for anyone who hasn't done them or listening, it's not like taking like a nice, pleasant, warm bath. It's really, (laughs) really hot. (laughs) So like borderline just like burning your skin. And I would just try and sit in them them for as long as possible. Uh, I can't remember the protocol we used, but I think it was probably around 10 minutes. Maybe first first two attempts, I dropped quite a lot, like half a kilo, almost one kilo. And then the third time and the fourth time that I was in the bath, I got up, got on the scale and had dropped nothing. <laughs> so it was getting more and more stressful because mm. um, sitting in these baths is quite anxiety inducing. Yeah. Like your heart rate goes up really fast and like it it is obviously very uncomfortable to lose water when you're already dehydrated I should add that obviously I had someone there checking on me all the time as well (laughs) yes by myself (laughs) it will be very dangerous to do it by yourself Uh, I was very optimistic at first and then when things started to like not nothing was happening anymore I was like oh my god (laughs) this is the worst 
I do want to add in as well, people don't often uh, recognize this is at the world level, if you don't make your weight class, you do not compete. It's not like a national event or where there is some flexibility or a local event where you can go between classes. If you do not make your weight class, then there is no chance that you compete at a world event. So I'm sure that was also contributing to the stress as well, getting on the scale and not seeing it drop and having that pressure as the timing as the weighing closes. How were you feeling towards the end when you did get on the scales and there was no drop? Like physically just horrible, obviously. In addition to the baths, uh, I should add, I was, you know, spitting constantly, chewing on these like sour gummy bears. Couldn't feel my tongue anymore. (laughs) It just hurts my tongue to think about it. I will never have sour gummy bears. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, uh, spitting and then just being like wrapped up in plastic under all these like sheets, sheets bundled up. And after a while, you get pretty dizzying and groggy. Like the mental experience of that can be quite confusing and borderline a little bit scary if you're going pretty hard at it. As I'm talking, I kind of just want to say as well, like I don't recommend this to anyone. Yes. Like you shouldn't put yourself in that situation. Unless it's a very, very extraordinary circumstance and you think that, okay, maybe I can win the world championships. Mm. But like even then, you should seriously consider if it's worth it. And uh, yeah, we got to the weighing room and I think like I knew that I wasn't going to make it. But there's always that little hope that maybe the competition scale doesn't match the one I have in the hotel room, you know. (laughs) And I just got on it and it's like half a kilo over. It's obviously way too much to lose. And I think I had 10 minutes left or something. I sat down on the floor and I told my coach, I said something which I think is really interesting. I said, I'm, I feel relieved. I don't have to compete, Mm. which was such an interesting like defense mechanism against having failed, like failed that experience, failed the the challenge. Obviously I wasn't relieved. Like I wanted nothing more (laughs) to compete, but that was my brain's first escape. Like I didn't want it that much anyway. (laughs) Uh, it took me some time to really accept how badly I really wanted that and like how much it hurts not being able to do it. But it's funny how we like start to come up with reasons why it doesn't matter. <laughs> and you yeah. had some really crazy ab cramping. I remember seeing that because everyone was definitely keeping up to date with your journey. Everyone was so intrigued to see how you were going to go as a 63 kilo lifter, having been so successful as a 72 kilo lifter and it be such a drop. Everyone was obviously watching and waiting to see. And I remember seeing the score sheet and not actually seeing your name up there. And then I remember seeing your post after and you had such severe ab cramping as well. Yeah. Yeah. That was absolutely crazy. I've never experienced that before. Uh, it just popped right out I was laughing at a joke someone made at dinner and it just like popped out of me and I was like ah! <laughs> I thought it was a hernia or something and someone was like no 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 just lay down and stretch it out and just like went back in <laughs> it does look it did look like a hernia though when you see the photo yeah. you'll have to go scroll back if anyone is going to go look at this photo I would recommend it you will have to scroll back to 2018 but you'll know which photo I'm talking about as soon as you see it. Yeah, it's just like a big blob on my stomach. <laughs> <laughs> really weird. So that sort of also maybe tells the tale that what would happen on the platform if I was actually up there lifting. Like 
Yeah. And obviously with some weight on your back, who would have known if that would have happened as in your squat? Yeah. Lots of possibilities there for sure. After you did that final weigh in and your first defense mechanism was that, well, I didn't really want to do it anyways. How long did it take you to really process it and acknowledge that you did want to be there and you did want to compete? And how did that feel? I mean, honestly, it didn't take that long. I, I went back to the hotel room that night and I just like bawled my eyes out. I was devastated. I remember waking up the next morning feeling very like, I didn't remember what, why I was feeling so like sad and so shit. And then it all like came back and I was like, oh, right. Because I just, you know, did this. So, I mean, it came to me pretty quickly. And then I always try to look at the positive experience of why things happen and what I can take from things and what I can learn from things. So I was probably fighting pretty hard to find the value in it at first. And then because of that, like not really allowing myself to really just be really upset, (laughs) um, it probably took me a few more months to actually get to the point where I was like, ah, okay. That really challenged me more than I had the tools for emotionally. How long was the actual process? When did you decide that you did want to cut to the 63 kilo class? And how long was that actual diet? I decided in November 2017. I had one more meet. I was signed up for a meet in December in the 72. So I just dieted down to like 71.5 from 76 to do that. And then I went at it pretty hard starting in January. So January to June, I was dieting, but I was also committing myself to my training in a way that I hadn't done before. So I thought if I'm going to not lose strength, I need to train harder than ever. And then I think I got so invested in that mindset that everything in my life was about training, like 100% everything from like waking up in the morning to going to bed at night was about like optimizing my performance as a lifter. So when I talk about missing weigh-in, it might sound a bit like boo-hoo, boo-hoo. Okay, you didn't get to compete like that's sad, but whatever. (laughs) So what I mean is like the actual transitioning out of that mindset that I can't live my life like that, like investing 100% of my waking time into my training isn't sustainable. And it was like I got dragged out of that because I got nothing like quotation marks nothing for it so to speak when I didn't get to compete and it totally just like made me re uh consider my goals in lifting and how I want to be as a lifter when you were training and you were dieting did you notice a huge drop in your performance or you were fighting so hard and training so hard that you didn't actually notice much of a drop as the 72 no so what actually happened that was that I put on about 30 kilos on my total while losing 10 kilos of body weight wow but yeah I mean it wasn't easy um (laughs) it wasn't easy uh I think I probably took like two or three naps per day again like didn't do anything but focus on lifting I didn't have a social life at the time at all and like yeah none of that had any room it was all about how to make the session go as good as possible yeah so really all or nothing when you compare that now to how you approach lifting what do you think your biggest takeaways are because I have definitely seen and 
especially from your social media as well, more of a transition and I love it to the more personal side of people. And I do think that's when they start to make that separation between lifting and life and having, you know, it be a part of your personality instead of being everything about your personality. How do you balance that out now instead of having that all or nothing mentality that you had when you were doing that big cut? I mean, that this, I think this is so interesting on, on so many levels. Like it's not just, people say powerlifting is just a hobby because we don't get paid for it. I resent that statement <laughs> so much. Um, like in a sense, it really is about identity. And for me, how much I was fused with this identity. Yep. Like fusing myself with my results, uh, my abilities. Because after like, after Calgary and missing weight and I also got an injury pretty shortly after and I wasn't really able to train neither squats nor bench for I think probably five or six months yeah um not properly at least and it's like oh okay so I really don't feel like this identity like I'm not able to maintain it anymore in the same way and I need to defuse myself from that what else do I have? What other qualities do I have as a human? Or maybe qualities is the wrong word, but what values do I have in life that are important to me outside of lifting? And in January last year, I wrote a message to my coach and I said, one of my very explicit goals this year is to prioritize my mental health above everything else. Yep. And because I said that to myself so clearly, it really became like a game plan as well. Like how do I actually increase my mental health and started using all of these strategies for that like mindfulness practices and uh, other like focusing on other hobbies outside of powerlifting again that I totally disregarded for like the past yeah. years <laughs> and talk, talking to my family and friends way more and doing it uh, more consciously consciously I think everyone <laughs> has this realization a little bit as a high level lifter or even some people who aren't really categorized as a high level lifter and it just takes something to happen such as an injury or an illness or something like that along those lines where you do start to question the value that this thing holds in your life and how much you do fuse your personality to this to this hobby or to this thing that you do every day I had a really similar experience not too long ago and I actually took a whole year off competing because I needed that time to figure out what it actually meant to me why I cared so much about the platform and each individual training session and it's really took some time away and I do think it is really common to see lifters do that now but to also speak about it and to then see other parts of their personality that they are putting online yeah so like the online aspect is uh, an interesting thing as well like through telling my story especially with this weight cut and everything and there was like so many eyes on it I started to really I started to get really confused about what was me and what was the story that I was telling people and on on Instagram and the like the version of me that people were in my head like asking for a little bit and yeah. like when it comes to that concept of like diffusing as well, like taking a step away from Instagram and taking a step away from creating this like narrative that I am a certain way because I am not really a certain way. I am very flexible. <laughs> I can be many people, many, many Isabella in many different situations and um, no need for me to be this one person all the time. 
And do you find you've started to introduce more parts of yourself to Instagram now, being a bit more comfortable with the idea that you can be all these different Isabellas as opposed to just this one online that people might necessarily want you to be? Like little by little, I think uh, I've certainly become more aware of having used Instagram for some time. I'm pretty aware of what make what like what draws attention and what doesn't, and I've become more aware of that 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 doesn't necessarily have to be important. I can post something that I know isn't gonna draw the most attention, but at least it feels good for me to post it. I feel authentic. I feel I can talk about something that's important to me. I feel like it might be helpful for someone and I will just go ahead and post that without thinking too much about whether or not it's interesting for everybody, you know? Yeah. Or it's going to get the most amount of attention because I think in moments like that, you do realize that the attention that it does get from those people is quite special when you do think that you are putting out something that is so true to you and is so authentic to your message or even just a random photo that you wanted to post. The people who do uh, like that or comment on that, it does become a little bit more meaningful than just posting the content that you know is going to get the most likes or comments or shares, whatever it is. Yeah, definitely. I think back two years, there's no way I would not post a PR or like a big lift if I'm, if I did one, but I can count several times like this past year where I've actually hit a PR. I'm like, yeah, I don't want to really talk about that. So I'm just, I haven't even posted some of them, you know, cause it's like, oh, well, I'm, I know it was good. I don't really need to, <laughs> you know, flash, flash it. So I, d- I can see uh, a little bit of a difference in, yeah, in what I put out in that way. Just returning back to that weight cut, how did you feel post-diet? What was that transition like having been in such, I imagine it would have been in such a deficit for so long, you know, that was six months. How did you feel transitioning out of that weight cut period? Yeah, oh my gosh, Uh, it was not good. (laughs) It was really weird and I had no uh, help with that because the nutrition coach I was working with, I will just, I'm not going to talk about that too much, but I'll just say that uh, I really wish I had more help with the getting out of the diet. So it wasn't until I actually met Eric Helms for the first time at the European powerlifting conference, the end of, at the end of July, about a month and a half after a month or so after I ended my diet and he started talking about because he's a so he's a bodybuilding coach. He owns a company that coaches bodybuilders and powerlifters and their nutrition. Yeah, he definitely was one of the first fitness people in the game speaking about all these things that everyone speaks about now, you know, in terms of dieting, in terms of programming. Eric Helms is incredible and is an incredible resource for everyone. Yeah, yeah. Um, highly recommend checking out uh, the content that he puts out. And he started talking, we were just chatting because we were on the way to the airport together and he started talking about like his bodybuilding journey and his why, uh, like why he started his company and he talked a little bit about how they approach coaching uh, bodybuilders and helping people through their competition diets. And he's like, yeah, because when people go through those really, really hard diets, it's very common for people to 
get disordered eating behavior or get like really skewed body image, a perception of their body image and like their hormones will get totally out of whack, especially for women. And all of these aspects of uh, this type of dieting and the problems that it can bring a person, like you will really need help with that. And if you're not aware of those things that can happen, you're really in some trouble because it can be very detrimental like for your long-term health, uh, physical and mental. And he's just like, yeah, so like these people, it's so common to for people to like, you know, start binging again after they're off their diet. And it will be so common for people to think that the way they look during their diet is the new normal. And everything after that is just going to be fat, you know, like because you have this like really weird perception of what mm-hmm. is the normal amount of body fat and so forth. And I was sitting quietly. I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> you can read my mind. <laughs> I had no idea that this was a thing. I just thought like, okay, you diet, you get lean, that's okay. And then you sort of try to maintain it. Or if you don't, you just don't. But shouldn't be that much of a problem, should it? But then, oh my God, I had so many problems. Like it was really difficult to get off the diet. That was almost more, like that was more hard than being on the diet. Yeah. And were most of your issues around the body image side of it, the hormonal side of it? Yeah, both. Uh, Getting my period back took a few months. Like normal, um, like feeling satiety, like getting uh, normal feedback from my body that, okay, uh, you've had enough. You can stop eating now. Uh, That took months and months as well. And I'd I'd heard heard about like um, how you should try and gain weight back slowly to stay like get maintain as much lean body mass as possible and so forth and I was like okay that makes sense and just talking to Eric getting this new perspective on it that well it's probably better for you to gain back the body fat that you're missing now as fast as possible so that you can restore your hormones yeah I remember they, they often recommend going straight back to what would be maintenance Instead of adding in calories slowly, just jumping straight back up to maintenance to get to that normal level again. Yeah, and and this was total news for me because, I mean, it was the first time I'd ever done a diet like that. And I I, I was struggling as well because because I didn't have the knowledge and the behavior was so new to me, like all of these new issues I'd, I'd never encountered before. Obviously, there was like a lot of feelings of shame involved as well that I couldn't like control it. I didn't have, um, I didn't have the situation under control. I felt so I didn't really want to talk about it either. I'm really glad that I went through that because now, as a coach, when I talk to someone who has gone through like a bodybuilding diet in the past, and they sort of like allude a little bit to similar experience, I'm like, okay, I don't, I'm not totally confused about what you're talking about here, at least. <laughs> So I can feel I have a little bit more empathy for people who are, have recovered. Yeah. And often when you do go through a long period of dieting, you don't actually realize a lot of those issues are developing throughout it until you're at the other end and you do need to do something like reverse diet or jump back up to maintenance and you see your mm. body make all these changes. And again, like Eric said, you're accustomed to having a new normal, which is at your lower body weight. 
And then you see your body, you know, you might put on two kilos, you might put on five kilos and all of a sudden these issues that you had no awareness of before are rearing their head every single day. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I like the way you express it. Like you don't even know that it's happening until afterwards. And like for me, it was just like, wow, this, what is, what's even going on here? Like I've never had any, I've always had a very positive view of my own body. Um, I've liked the way it looked. I've been very appreciative of its functions and health and strength. And eating has been a normal, like, happy association for me. Um, so I've never experienced any emotional difficulties in the past related to food and body image. And all of a sudden, just a few months later, everything's changed. And I'm like, I don't have the tools for this at all. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea what's going on. Yeah. How long did it take you to feel almost normal again? Also a little bit of a, a difficult question to answer because um, because I missed the weigh-in, I still had it in my head that I was going to do it again. Okay. Um, so even though I got off the diet and I was at like maintenance caloric intake, I still had it in my head that I was going back down to 63. Uh, like if not the next couple of months, then at least next year. And uh, I really tried, like I tried to go on a diet again and, the coach that I was working with then was just like, I don't think this is a good idea. <laughs> like you should probably at least wait a year or two before you try anything like that again, if you should at all. And I was like, nah, nah, <laughs> uh, I need to make this happen. And every time I started to get a little bit leaner again, like that, the same tendencies would come back, like, the, like the binging tendency or food focus, like uh, excessive food focus and getting obsessed with the tracking and, but thankfully, because I had more knowledge then and I'd already gone through it, I could see, okay, shit, this keeps happening. I really need to stop. And in January, like I said a little bit earlier here, I told my coach mental health above all, and I just put that on the shelf. And since then, I've been a very happy, <laughs> happy eater. <laughs> so I haven't done any dieting attempts since, um, since then. And I think this last year is... Uh, has been the best the best in terms of reshifting my focus um, getting back that fondness of my own body like seeing it in the mirror and being like oh hey there <laughs> looking good today you know <laughs> um, but yeah it definitely took some time a year at least I would say when you look at progress in that sense of feeling a bit more bit more positivity towards your own body it isn't in big ways and I think that's what people sometimes look for sometimes it's just waking up and not having the first thought about your body or the first thought about food it can be in the smallest of ways and I remember when I finished my bodybuilding season was the first thing I said to my coach I said I just want to feel normal again because Mm. I also had all these issues pop up during the cutting process and the competing process And I was just craving some normalcy around my body and craving some normalcy around my food because similar to you, I had, you know, 
pretty standard thoughts about my body. I did have issues with food beforehand, but before I actually did that bodybuilding season, I actually felt quite positive. Mm. And then so to finish that season and to just be craving something that felt so out of reach at the time. But yeah, my biggest indicators that I was moving forward were those little things, you know, moving away from that food focus and from away from that body focus. Yeah, absolutely. It, it does. It takes up a lot of mental energy, doesn't it? To just have that in the back of your head all the time. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of um, obviously females struggle with that and it's been awesome to obviously chat with you about this because I don't think Mm. I've ever seen anything from you about that actual weight cut process and how big it actually was you know six months is a huge time to be in a deficit and to have that competition so it's actually interesting that you say that because as I posted these photos yesterday I posted them partly to um yeah, talk about this podcast and sort of explain a little bit for the people who were going to listen that this is like what I actually looked like in case you didn't know but during the time I didn't post much because I felt that it was pretty horrible to always get so many comments on my uh, on my body and my choice every time I posted something it would just like hail in and I was like really draining not good feeling at all Uh, so I, I actively didn't post much because it just got the wrong sort of attention I felt and yeah. even yesterday, as I posted this post, I got a bunch of comments and I know it's well-meaning, but people are like, oh, wow, so beautiful, so sexy. And this is so motivating for me. And I'm like, I wish it wasn't. And, you know, like, I don't feel sexy here because I didn't have my period for four months. And that that's not, you know, good. <laughs> like, it's tricky. It is true, though. That is the content that people do seem to comment on the most when I first started my social media as well is definitely the content that I posted more and I've shifted away from it a lot and have had the same feelings in terms of going back and archiving that stuff because it's not really the message that I personally Mm. want to be sending nor the message that I feel like I relate to the most at all Mm. anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think I got like almost 8,000 likes on that post just since yesterday and that's probably three times more than, you know, just a normal post. (laughs) Just returning back to how you approach competing and lifting, how has that changed for you over the past year now? Because when people see you and see you on Instagram and especially when they see you compete, you are quite an intense lifter. Yeah. Well, uh, as I was prepping for the world championships in Calgary on this diet, I did feel myself like getting more and more unbalanced. So I was quite aware of that at the time. And I went to see a sports psychologist and we talked a lot about burnout and mental recovery. So I got a ro- lot of really great um, feedback from him and sort of started thinking about that more and more and more. Um, so over the past, I guess, two and a half years or two years, that has become a much more central um, part of my lifting approach. Uh, So the aggression that you see has become less impactful. Uh, While before, I think I was just like charging ahead and really didn't have much of an exit strategy. (laughs) And um, uh, I feel also that I've been becoming less and less aggressive in my lifting and that most of my sessions are actually like pretty chill. And maybe the aggression comes out from just like a very few selective 
flipped. So it has changed quite a bit. Do you feel like you had burnt yourself out or were you very close to burning out and felt that you needed to start implementing some strategies that were going to prevent that? I, I would say burnt out for sure. Uh, the lifting, the drive to lift has always been there because that's my expression and that's my way of dealing with the things that are happening in my life and that's my way of channeling my drive as I operate through life but it was becoming less and less enjoyable um, and I was noticing that I had less and less to give in other areas of my life like as a coach as a friend and that's where it showed up first because for lifting, it's just such a compulsive thing for me to do. Like I see a bar, I lift it, you know, <laughs> but definitely noticed that it wasn't like enjoyable in the same way anymore. Yeah. Bryce Lewis is definitely a great person to follow if you are looking for someone to speak about burnout. Um, he has been posting over the course of the last year a lot about burnout, what it looks like, how you can identify it in athletes that you're working with and how to also implement some strategies to prevent you from reaching that burnout stage. But it is becoming, again, another thing that a lot of lifters are now starting to talk about because it is a common thing for people to go through. And it, I mean, it, it, it's sad to see it in a, in a, I think, especially in a sport where all we have is our intrinsic motivation. Like that, that's what we have here. We don't have the the salary or the global world fame, yeah. <laughs> the recognition, uh, maybe to some extent, like there's recognition in it, but truly what you have is your passion for it and letting that burn out is just, I don't know. It's a shame if, if, if it can be prevented. I think that's what we should try our best to help our athletes with. Absolutely. And in terms of next competitions or what you have in store, do you have anything planned or are you just kind of going to go with the flow being in Melbourne? Gosh, I mean, at this point, they, they said that Worlds would be in October instead of June, which I sort of doubt a little bit. But if it is, I probably won't be doing any comps this year uh, because I have to go to Sweden in June if I if they open up the borders to Europe because I have um, a family event that I need to attend I don't I don't think I can like afford a trip to Europe in June and October as well so probably nothing until next year but well you know we don't know if what's going to happen with the quarantine and everything um, yeah it would be nice to be able to train a little bit before I compete again <laughs> I think a lot of people feel the same. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And and is the plan to stay in Melbourne? I actually followed Alex. It was so funny. I actually followed um, your partner before a couple of years ago because he was working with Chad Wesley Smith. And at the time as well, I was also being coached by him. And so I was just following the Australian athletes that Chad also coached. Um, and then oh. I obviously saw you training there. And yeah, so is a plan to stay in Melbourne? Yeah, uh, it is. So my uh, current visa that I'm on runs out in September. So after that, we're going to be applying for the de facto visa. Hopefully that comes through. Um, there would not be a reason for it not to. Uh, <laughs> but it will take some time. I think they will process that for maybe up to two years sometimes. Besides that, Melbourne seems to be the place, unless we go traveling because that's what we want or something. But 
we'll see. Awesome. Yeah. I asked yeah. Instagram yesterday for some questions for you and there are some mm-hmm. interesting ones, some that you already have answered. One person asked if you'll attempt to cut to the 63 kilo class again. No, <laughs> is the answer. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, a good one that someone asked was, what was the hardest thing about cutting weight mentally and physically? Physically, the fatigue. fatigue like, so from a fatigue standpoint, I slept probably 11 hours every single night. And if wow. I didn't, I was destroyed. So it was no problem for me to go to sleep and wake up 11 hours later every single night. <laughs> what did your training um, look like then? In terms of a split throughout the week, what did it actually look like at that point in time? Um, I was running the same type of structure that I'm doing now. Uh, it is called Emerging Strategies. It's the programming style that we use at Reactive Training Systems. For me, it's been always been a four days a week type of training, session, uh, training schedule. Uh, and every session is about three hours. Funnily enough, during the diet, they usually took four hours. <laughs> my set rest was just like getting longer and longer. And yeah. was, like dragging it out because I didn't have the energy. And I would do, I am doing and did three exercises per session, usually starting out with the um, comp movement or variation of the comp movement, like squat and bench, and then a supplement to that. And then next day would be deadlift and bench and the supplement and then squat and bench again and the supplement and then deadlift and bench and the supplement. So squat twice, deadlift twice and bench four times plus uh, like hypertrophy exercises to that. Yeah. And it was just obviously at a very high intensity and you're pushing incredibly hard. Yeah. It was, um, sorry, the fire alarm just went off in our apartment, but it does that like every day. So (laughs) No, not to worry anyone yeah not to worry it's just a little bit of a fire here in my house but that's okay um yeah the other part of the question the mental aspect the hardest part about the diet the mental aspect I think was uh filtering out other like external opinions about my choice to drop away class because I did get a lot of criticism uh, people did not understand it at all and they thought I was being stupid and they told me pretty much on a daily basis that it was a dumb choice <laughs> so, and um, that was a bit difficult to just like stand my ground and remember that I was doing it for my own reasons and nobody else's I think the other mental aspect was like we have talked about a bit here the the food focus to mm. like always think about food always wondering like when is the next meal counting the calories and then if I went over a little bit like the massive shame and guilt of having done that which is very typical for a hard diet yeah what was the biggest thing that you learned or took away from that process I well uh I learned that there are many ways to diet and the one the way I did wasn't necessarily the best way um so after this I learned a lot more about flexible dieting and a flexible mindset around dieting my biggest takeaway from this as well has been probably mindful uh, practices and how they can how helpful they can be for mental recovery and like overall well-being even yeah. if you struggle to go through tough times and so what do you do for your mindfulness practice because you can do 
mindfulness in a lot of different ways. Some people use meditation, some people use yoga. There's so many ways to achieve mindfulness. What is the way that you utilize the most? Yeah, absolutely. As you say, there can be so many ways. I think people are associated to like typically meditation and yoga, and that can probably seem a little bit intimidating and people just like don't engage in it because they think they have to sit in silence for 30 minutes every day and like not think, (laughs) which is uh, absolutely not true at all, thankfully. But I do meditate every morning uh, and I do a little bit of yoga, not every day, but quite often in attachment to my meditation, which is like not to say that I'm good at yoga or anything. I just like it. (laughs) But I also don't think that's so much the point about mindfulness is you don't have to be good at something. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And uh, I think the second, uh, the, like, the the important thing to know about mindfulness practices is that you can do it at any point at any time during the day. And it's about present moment awareness. Um, In the moment, Take a step back from the thoughts that you are having. Don't try and shut your thoughts out, but just take a step back and observe what you are thinking, uh, what you are experiencing. Uh, might be like a mental experience, which is like your thoughts or your physical sensations. Uh, right now, am I? how am I feeling? Am I relaxed? Am I tensing somewhere? Am I clenching my fists or my jaw? Um, How's my breathing? Just checking in with that continuously throughout the day and making a note of it. Like, don't try and judge it. Don't try and change your thoughts. Just try and see if you can change how you feel about your thoughts or like how you should express it. Um, Try and create a relationship to your thoughts where you're sort of making a note of them and accepting them rather than letting them ride away with you. (laughs) Yeah, like more of an observer role. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And do you think that mindfulness practice and repeating those throughout the day, has that transferred into a more calm, present state for lifting as well? Yes, I think it has, Um, especially the breath. Mm. I am very much more aware of my breathing throughout my training sessions. And I think from a practical standpoint, that has helped me with my physical recovery quite a lot. Yeah. Another question that came through on Instagram was, do you change anything around the gym or your diet around menstruation? I actually don't. I find it, it's been very hard to track. I did for a while last year. Uh, My menstruation was getting regular again, uh, thankfully, and I was tracking it very uh, rigorously in this app called Maya. And I put in... Every day I would log, um, I don't want to call it symptoms because it sounds so medical, but like mood and <laughs> like, are you sweaty? Are you bloated? Or are you happy or horny? Like whatever, just log it. And then after a while, I got a really good idea of where I was at in my cycle. And it was useful. I didn't change my training, but some days I'd show up and I just could not like pull 130 kilos off the floor. And yeah. I could see in my app that, okay, that this always happens, like literally every third week. <laughs> but I, I changed my, uh, my contraceptive. Um, so I changed that um, last year, just before uh, New Year. So now everything's messed up again. So I have no idea 
run anything's going to happen right now. <laughs> but if you do have a regular period, I do recommend that you track it because um, it can be very helpful. Yeah, I spoke to Megan Jones and we broke down what happens at what point in our cycle and what that means for training. And it is often in that, you know, the last two weeks of your cycle where progesterone is peaking, where you typically get those effects in your training in terms of things being a a bit harder and sometimes even not being able to do something. Mm, Absolutely. Um, I mean, it would be highly individual so like for some people they wouldn't notice anything and for others it can be quite apparent like the effects of it but I've noticed at least talking to just like clients friends um other lifters is that people don't they don't track and they don't know much about their period or where they are in their cycle so starting out there is probably pretty like good starting point the last Um, question that I want to answer here which I think is a good one is how did you feel watching the others compete in uh, Calgary yeah that was that was hard um it was it was hard and it's even though I have the utmost respect and admiration for all the other women in in that weight class it was kind of hard to not you know create this story of how I would have performed if I was there so Mm -hmm. I wouldn't call it petty I mean I think that's pretty normal like he's probably probably pretty reasonable but at the time I was like oh I wouldn't have made that lift or that but I don't have any idea if that's true (laughs) I mean there's no way of knowing but who knows if I got a butt lift on my bench and bombed out because of that like that can happen in the best of scenarios you know what were your best lifts through that training cycle? Do you remember them? Uh, yeah, my best squat was 207.5. My best bench was 102.5. And my best lift was 227.5 kilos. Yeah, so huge. And if you look at the total, that would have absolutely killed it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was at the body weight that I did these lifts were around like 68 kilos, 67 kilos. So still a fair way to go. Would be great to see a 68 kilo class. I feel like a lot of women sit in that between. (laughs) Yeah, that would be something. The the jumps are pretty, pretty high. I think, yeah, at least just add in like a 90 kilo class or something. That would be very good. In PA and in world powerlifting, they've added in those extra weight classes for females. So it's 100 under and then 100 plus now instead of just being that last weight class and then having that huge, huge gap. Yeah. Yeah. 84 and then 84 plus is pretty ridiculous. Giant. Absolutely huge gap. (laughs) That about wraps it up. Is there anything else that you wanted to touch on or that you wanted to say either about that process or about lifting in general or about, you know, the identity with lifting? No, I think this was like a really great conversation. I feel like we covered a lot of aspects of it. Maybe what I haven't talked much about is don't, don't regret anything and don't be afraid of messing up. Like messing up is to be expected. That, that should always be <laughs> the approach. And uh, going in, doing something really big and really challenging, just because it didn't turn out the way you wanted to doesn't mean that you didn't get anything from it. That's probably one of my, what I would say about all of this. Thank you so much 
for joining me because I have loved this conversation so much. It's about all the things that I want the brand to be about and to discuss. It's just been a really important conversation and I'm so glad to have you on here. Thank you. It was really good to be on and I'm very excited about uh, October. Yes, hopefully, yeah. hopefully, fingers crossed. Things yeah, fingers are crossed. <laughs> a little bit clearer then. Again, thank you so much. I will talk to you soon. And that is episode two in the books with Isabella von Weissenberg. If you are looking for Isabella on Instagram, her handle is Isabella V. Weissenberg. My handle is at Beyonce and you can find Women's Strength Collective, the podcast at Women's Strength Collective 2020 on Instagram too. Thanks for joining us and I'll see you next time.